The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar The fateful day was close at hand. It was now the 26th of September, and nothing had happened. But at three o'clock the bell rang. A boy brought this telegram. No goods at Batignolles Station. Prepare everything for tomorrow night. Arsène. This telegram threw the Baron into such a state of excitement that he even considered the advisability of yielding to Lupin's demands. However, he hastened to Caudebec. Ganimard was fishing at the same place, seated on a camp stool. Without a word, he handed him the telegram. Well, what of it? said the detective. What of it? But it is tomorrow. What is tomorrow? The robbery, the pillage of my collections. Ganimard laid down his fishing rod, turned to the baron, and exclaimed in a tone of impatience, Ah, do you think I am going to bother myself about such a silly story as that? How much do you ask to pass tomorrow night in the castle? Not a sou. Now leave me alone. Name your own price. I am rich and can pay it. This offer disconcerted Ganimard, who replied calmly, I am here on vacation. I have no right to undertake such work. No one will know. I promise to keep it secret. Oh, nothing will happen. Come, three thousand francs. Will that be enough? The detective, after a moment's reflection, said, Very well, but I must warn you that you are throwing your money out of the window. I do not care. In that case. But, after all, what do we know about this devil, Lupin? He may have quite a numerous band of robbers with him. Are you sure of your servants? My faith! Better not count on them. I will telegraph for two of my men to help me. And now go. It is better for us not to be seen together. Tomorrow evening, about nine o'clock. The following day, the date fixed by Arsène Lupin, Baron Cahorn arranged all his panoply of war, furnished his weapons, and, like a sentinel, paced to and fro in front of the castle. He saw nothing, heard nothing. At half-past eight o'clock in the evening, he dismissed his servants. They occupied rooms in a wing of the building in a retired spot well removed from the main portion of the castle. Shortly thereafter, the baron heard the sound of approaching footsteps. It was Ganimar and his two assistants, great, powerful fellows with immense hands and necks like bulls. After asking a few questions related to the location of the various entrances and rooms, Ganimar carefully closed and barricaded all the doors and windows through which one could gain access to the threatened rooms. He inspected the walls, raised the tapestries, and finally installed his assistants in the central gallery which was located between the two salons. No nonsense. We're not here to sleep. At the slightest sound, open the windows of the court and call me. Pay attention also to the water side. Ten meters of perpendicular rock is no obstacle to those devils. Ganimar locked his assistants in the gallery, carried away the keys, and said to the baron, And now... To our post. He had chosen for himself a small room located in the thick outer wall between the two principal doors and which, in former years, had been the watchman's quarters. A peephole opened upon the bridge, another on the court. In one corner there was an opening to a tunnel. 
I believe you told me, Monsieur le Baron, that this tunnel is the only subterranean entrance to the castle and that it has been closed up for time immemorial? Yes. Then, unless there is some other entrance known only to Arsène Lupin, we are quite safe. He placed three chairs together, stretched himself upon them, lighted his pipe, and sighed. <sighs> really, Monsieur le Baron, I feel ashamed to accept your money for such a sinecure as this. I will tell the story to my friend Lupin. He will enjoy it immensely. The Baron did not laugh. He was anxiously listening, but heard nothing save the beating of his own heart. From time to time, he leaned over the tunnel and cast a fearful eye into its depths. He heard the clock strike eleven, twelve, one. Suddenly, he seized Ganimar's arm. The latter leaped up, awakened from his sleep. Did you hear? asked the baron in a whisper. Yes. What is it? I was snoring, I suppose. No, no, listen. Ah, yes, it is the horn of an automobile. Well? Well, it is very improbable that Lupin would use an automobile like a battering ram to demolish your castle. Come, Monsieur le Baron, return to your post. I am going to sleep. Good night. That was the only alarm. Ganimard resumed his interrupted slumbers, and the Baron heard nothing except the regular snoring of his companion. At break of day, they left the room. The castle was enveloped in a profound calm. It was a peaceful dawn on the bosom of a tranquil river. They mounted the stairs, Cahorn radiant with joy, Ganimard calm as usual. They heard no sound. They saw nothing to arouse suspicion. What did I tell you, Monsieur le Baron? Really, I should not have accepted your offer. I am ashamed. He unlocked the door and entered the gallery. Upon two chairs, with drooping heads and pendant arms, the detective's two assistants were asleep. Tonnerre de nom d'un chien! exclaimed Ganimard. At the same time, the Baron cried out, The pictures! The credence! He stammered, choked, with arms outstretched towards the empty places, towards the denuded walls where naught remained but the useless nails and cords. The vateau disappeared. The rubens carried away, the tapestries taken down, the cabinets despoiled of their jewels. And my Louis XVI candelabra, and the regent chandelier, and my twelfth-century virgin— he ran from one spot to another in wildest despair. He recalled the purchase price of each article, added up the figures, counted his losses pell-mell in confused words and unfinished phrases. He stamped with rage. He groaned with grief. He acted like a ruined man whose only hope is suicide. If anything could have consoled him, it would have been the stupefaction displayed by Ganimard. The famous detective did not move. He appeared to be petrified. He examined the room in a listless manner. The windows closed. The locks on the doors intact. Not a break in the ceiling, not a hole in the floor. Everything was in perfect order. 
the theft had been carried out methodically according to a logical and inexorable plan. Arsène Lupin. Arsène Lupin, he muttered. Suddenly, as if moved by anger, he rushed upon his two assistants and shook them violently. They did not awaken. The devil, he cried. Can it be possible? He leaned over them and, in turn, examined them closely. They were asleep, but their response was unnatural. They have been drugged, he said to the baron. By whom? By him, of course, or his men under his discretion. That work bears his stamp. In that case, I am lost. Nothing can be done. Nothing, assented Ganimar. It is dreadful. It is monstrous. Lodge a complaint. What good will that do? Oh, it is well to try it. The law has some resources. The law, bah! It is useless. You represent the law, and at this moment, when you should be looking for a clue and trying to discover something, you do not even stir. Discover something with Arsène Lupin. Why, my dear monsieur, Arsène Lupin never leaves any clue behind him. He leaves nothing to chance. Sometimes I think he put himself in my way and simply allowed me to arrest him in America. Then I must renounce my pictures. He has taken the gems of my collection. I would give a fortune to recover them. If there is no other way, let him name his own price. Genemar regarded the baron attentively as he said, now that is sensible. Will you stick to it? Yes, yes, but why? An idea that I have. W what is it? We will discuss it later, if the official examination does not succeed. But not one word about me, if you wish my assistance. He added, between his teeth, It is true I have nothing to boast of in this affair. The assistants were gradually regaining consciousness with the bewildered air of people who come out of an hypnotic sleep. They opened their eyes and looked about them in astonishment. Ganimar questioned them. They remembered nothing. But you must have seen someone. Nope. Can't you remember? Nope. Nope. Did you drink anything? They considered a moment, and then one of them replied, Yes, I, I drank a little water. Out of that carafe? Yes, so did I, declared the other. Ganimard smelled and tasted it. It had no particular taste and no odor. Come, he said, we are wasting our time here. One can't decide an Arsene Lupin problem in five minutes. But morbleu, I swear I will catch him again. The same day, a charge of burglary was duly performed by Baron Cahorn against Arsène Lupin, a prisoner in the prison de la Santé. The Baron afterwards regretted making the charge against Lupin when he saw his castle delivered over to the gendarmes, the procureur, the judge d'instruction, the newspaper reporters and photographers, and a throng of idle curiosity seekers. The affair soon became a topic of general discussion, and the name of Arsène Lupin excited the public imagination to such an extent that the newspapers filled their columns with the most fantastic stories of his exploits, which found ready credence amongst their readers. But the letter of Arsène Lupin that was published in the Echo de France, no one ever knew how the newspaper obtained it, that letter in which Baron Cahorn was impudently warned of the coming theft caused considerable excitement. 
the most fabulous theories were advanced. Some recalled the existence of the famous subterranean tunnels, and that was the line of research pursued by the officers of the law who searched the house from top to bottom, questioned every stone, studied the wainscoting and the chimneys, the window frames and the girders in the ceilings. By the light of torches, they examined the immense cellars where the lords of Malachi were wont to store their munitions and provisions. They sounded the rocky foundation to its very center, but it was all in vain. They discovered no trace of a subterranean tunnel. No secret passage existed. But the eager public declared that the pictures and furniture could not vanish like so many ghosts. They are substantial, material things, and require doors and windows for their exits and their entrances, and so do the people that remove them. Who were those people? How did they gain access to the castle? And how did they leave it? The police officers of Rouen, convinced of their own impotence, solicited the assistance of the Parisian detective force. Monsieur Dudouy, chief of the Sûreté, sent the best sleuths of the Iron Brigade. He himself spent 48 hours at the castle, but met with no success. Then he sent for Ganimar, whose past services had proved so useful when all else failed. Ganimar listened in silence to the instructions of his superior. Then, shaking his head, he said, In my opinion, it is useless to ransack the castle. The solution of the problem lies elsewhere. Where, then? With Arsène Lupin. With Arsène Lupin? To support that theory, we must admit his intervention. I do admit it. In fact, I consider it quite certain. Come, Ganimar, that is absurd. Arsène Lupin is in prison. I grant you that Arsène Lupin is in prison, closely guarded, but he must have fetters on his feet, manacles on his wrists, and a gag in his mouth before I change my opinion. Why so obstinate, Ganimar? Because Arsène Lupin is the only man in France of sufficient caliber to invent and carry out a scheme of that magnitude. Mere words, Ganimar, but true ones. Look, what are they doing? Searching for subterranean passages, stones swinging on pivots, and other nonsense of that kind. But Lupin doesn't employ such old-fashioned methods. He's a modern cracksman, right up to date. And how would you proceed? I should ask your permission to spend an hour with him. In his cell? Yes. During the return trip from America, we became very friendly, and I venture to say that if he can give me any information without compromising himself, he will not hesitate to save me from incurring useless trouble. 